welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs one minute at a time. I'm Kester Dorowski. And I'm Andrew Dorowski. And we are again joined by John Dorowski. Welcome. Thank you. And today we are covering Minute 29, which begins with the dwarf Doc saying search everywhere and ends with Happy saying they're hid in the cupboard or they're here in the cupboard um i think hidden hid? yeah he, i think he was using hid hid um, okay wasn't quite positive when because he has a little bit the way he speaks is yeah, a little his, different from he has a colloquial um yes. kind of pattern yes they're not stole, stole. they're they're, they're hid in the cupboard. cupboard yeah yeah um i just want to take to take note of the many things that they say um, is wrong with the house. Oh. So first they say the floor has been swept. Who would do this? <laughs> uh, the the chair has been dusted. How dare they? The window, the window has been washed. Scandal. <laughs> the cobwebs are missing. Why would they take the cobwebs? He seems so sad about it. Like, he them. seems really upset. Like, somebody took our cobwebs. Uh, the sink is empty. What? And the dishes was... are stole. <laughs> yeah, the sink's empty because they stole, stole the, the dishes. Dish. Yes. Yes. Well, this uh, brings back my little theory that these are fugitives. Because they automatically... <laughs> they're always assume... suspicious. Yeah, they're suspicious that other criminals are at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, they I just can have see that, how that, that train of thought goes. Like, yeah, well, we have, would steal. They just have that criminal mindset. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's next minute. Never mind. I, I have a note about the animals hiding by the window. Okay. Um, the window? Yeah, by, by that window, which has been washed. <laughs> um, again, I feel like the texture of animation has changed a little bit on them. Like, when the deer stick their heads through that window doesn't quite look like the same animation of deer that walked a bunch of laundry out to the stream. I can see that. Um, I don't know why. Like, again, I assume it's just um, different animators or different teams. And so it's minor things. It's, I mean, when you're watching it minute by minute, you start to notice like really small details in animation styles and drawings. So I'm going to chalk it up to that. They just don't seem like quite the same animals. Yeah, I was wondering about the animals watching from the shadows. Not Mm -hmm. uh, the details of the animation, but uh, just kind of curious. Have the animals always been this bold? Have they always been spying on the dwarves? Well, when Snow White was in need of a place to stay, they took her to that house. So they definitely Mm. knew about it. And we have been working on a theory that they may have been using the dwarves house for special parties from time to time. They're yes, like, they, Oh, we know just the place. Yeah. So when the dwarves are in the mine, they just wander in freely, which apparently the dwarves are in the mine from early morning till late night till night. Yeah. But they, well, nightfall. They, 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 they dig, 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 dig in the mine the whole day through. Um, but yeah, they, they, they clock out at five, but they also walk until it's dark and yeah. sing for quite mm-hmm. a while, which I have no idea how long they were singing that song and walking. Um, it was well, definitely dusky. 
um, as they were walking. But if the animals party at the house while the dwarves are away, they would probably know when the dwarves usually come back. Yet a few they minutes did earlier, in this case, a few minutes earlier, they uh, were settling in for a nap and didn't realize, oh, the dwarves are going to be here any minute. Maybe, maybe they've never stayed that late. Maybe they just hmm. party until noon. Yeah, or yeah. they got uh, carried away and didn't realize like how late it was getting because Snow White was there. You know how it happens. You've got a new friend there giving you instructions on cleaning this house you broke into, <laughs> and it it just like. All of a sudden, your world isn't the same. And you're like, oh my gosh, Like we're animals. We go to the forest <laughs> when it's dark. Has what were we thinking? You, Hasn't this happened to everyone? <laughs> yes. We, we are all that turtle. <laughs> that's, that's Which a we never saw that turtle quite make it out the door. I know. That was actually, I was going to mention that. Um, what happened to the turtle? Because he fell down the stairs searching- and he hit the and he hit the wall. I guess he probably made it out. They're, they're searching everywhere. The turtle's still not there. Oh, also, it's, it's gone. Also, some of the dishes definitely were stole. Because we saw animals <laughs> walk out that front door. We saw like three chipmunks walk out with a pot, a pan, <laughs> and a bowl. <laughs> and so some of those dishes have in fact been stolen. <laughs> But not all of them. Not all of them, and not not most of the uh, basic flatware. Yes. Not um, enough that not enough that the dwarves would notice right away. Yeah, but like we do know that some of the dishes were stolen yeah. by chipmunks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They 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 made away with those pots and pans. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> other thing I wanted to mention um, was the animation on the shadow as they're searching. The house. Those shadows because, are fascinating. Yeah, because for the most part, they did some kind of special technique as they were, like uh, a double exposure thing yeah. at a different, um, or or like a they filmed it twice over with a different exposure on the second one. Yeah, which I don't understand how that works to make the shadow. I don't either, but I I don't know if that still happened for these big these shadows. Big shadows and these are big and shadows. Turn, and Doc with the glasses turns around and. Uh, you only see his shadow and he goes, shh, quiet. Yeah. Um, I like these shadows. Like it's, it's effective. I like yeah. them much better than I like the huntsman's shadow. Cause that's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there's a, these long shadows uh, show an influence of a filmmaking style called German expressionism, uh, which also would have been in the earlier million when Snow White is running through the woods uh, mm-hmm. This is a lot of German expressionism in yeah. This in would have been terror. One, yeah, so the terror, the weird camera angles, the uh, weird weird uh, angles on the walls, the heavy use of shadows, the so these extreme forms. Um, so Disney was definitely being influenced by German expressionism at this point, part both because uh, many of the German filmmakers were coming to the United States. They figured around 1935 was a good time to get out of Germany. And, you know, uh, if, if you're planning to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Try to get out by then. But also in 1935, uh, Walt Disney and his family took a vacation to Europe. Now, you know, yeah. maybe oh. not the best time for vacations, but they didn't go that far east. Um, but uh, it's thought that that vacation definitely influenced the look of this film, giving some of that old world style to it. Um, and whether he had been exposed to these international filmmakers before or after this. Uh, 
we can definitely see that influence in this moment. Uh, he was also influenced by Russian montage, another important movement, uh, which I don't think we see this week. Um, but Sergei Eisenstein, one of the leading figures in there, visited Disney in 1930. Uh, when he was visiting America, he loved Disney cartoons and thought they were uh, spoke very deeply to the human psyche. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have something here that says Sergei Einstein said it was the greatest movie ever made. Snow White? Mm-hmm. Well, high praise. Yes. Well, it's, what, 98 on Rotten Tomatoes? So it's generally well-received. Um, Ebert... Uh, gave it a four out of four on a not contemporary with its release review, but uh, later I was, on, I, I was going to say, I didn't think Ebert was reviewing films in 38. Yeah. He, he used it as an example of good filmmaking. And he said like, here's a four out of four review for snow white and seven dwarfs. Let me mm-hmm. tell you about like yeah. what, like this is a good film. Let me explain how yeah. it's a good film. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. Who... So go, sorry, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, uh, you go I, ahead. Just, I was just going to say, I know Ebert, Uh, went back and reviewed many classic films as well. Yeah. So I think this fell into that category and he, he wrote a a good lengthy review saying this is a four out of four. And something people don't seem to understand is that a movie isn't necessarily about the title character. And he, and he said like, this movie is great, not because it's the story of snow white. It's great because of the queen and the dwarfs, Like, like the study of the queen is what this movie's about. And it, and it, when you view it as the tragedy of the queen and the tragedy of vanity and things like that, that is a good movie and it yeah. doesn't have to be about snow white. Snow white is just the focal point that these things are happening around, but not what you really need to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah snow white is definitely not an agent in this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's great in her own way, but she's not the most interesting the, character. Yeah. This film definitely really resolves around the queen and the dwarfs. Mm-hmm. I think you get a lot more from watching the dwarfs Yeah, um, where you get to like have fun, enjoy yourself, but also get this kind of study of um, fundamental emotions. Yeah. Um, I was going to say a lot of people that uh, did seem to enjoy this film, um, but who was it that you said cried during the uh, Clark Gable? Oh yeah, that's right. Was, was noted as crying at the premiere. And I mean, it's kind of awkward to mention this, but uh, it actually was one of Hitler's favorite films too. That's surprising. Okay. Hitler mm-hmm. wasn't a big fan of Disney. Yeah. Well, sorry, it, not a big fan know. of Mickey Mouse. Let's differentiate yeah. the two. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what I read on several different accounts. I have not um, engaged much with Hitler's favorite films as uh, you know as a list on its own. What you don't you don't study Hitler often? Well, he comes up quite a bit, but <laughs> yeah, no. not that particular element of him. Mm-mm. Uh one thing that is important very important in the scene is the use of sound. Mhm. Um it is a, a so half much of creaking. It, yeah, half of it's very silent except for the creaking and especially the squeaky shoes. Uh, yeah. Once the yeah. once the dwarves enter the house, their shoes get very loud. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't remember if it was for this for for the the dwarves' uh, shoes, 
But I do know that, uh, I mean, it comes next week, but there was a moment when one of the dwarfs climbs the stairs and they used an old leather wallet to make that squeaking, yes. creaking sound. Huh. And I have a reference for this. Um, okay. This is, so I've mentioned another day about the use of music in the sound effects. This is all and about the Foley Mickey work. Mousing. Yeah. So this is all about the Foley work where they're uh, trying to recreate natural noises, uh, but they couldn't take their equipment outside at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. It was big recording equipment. It was big and bulky. So they had to do everything indoors. And so they were making these crazy machines to make these, to imitate these noises. There's and in some cases it was, it was more low tech where they would actually just drop glass from the top of a ladder. Yeah. Um, but there's a featurette on Wally, uh, mm -hmm. where Ben Burt, uh, who's a famous sound designer, got his probably, start. On probably one of the very, very, very best ever. Yeah, he got his start on the first Star Wars films. Uh, and at that point, they could take recording equipment outside. So he's known for getting all these natural sounds and mixing them together. Mm -hmm. But uh, on this featurette, uh, he did the sound design for Wally as well. Uh, and he discusses the history of sound design and tours Disney, the Disney archives, looking at some of this original equipment. And they also have some shots of these original engineers doing the sounds. And they show them folding that leather wallet to make the uh, dwarf shoes. Hmm. Wow. That's fascinating. I love yeah. like behind the scenes stuff like Listen, that. It's I, great. I highly recommend this featurette. Uh, I showed in my film class to talk about sound design. Uh, and if anyone's going to talk about sound design, it's going to be Ben Burt. Yes. He is the, the consummate master, I would say of sound design and Foley work. Um, not only the star Wars films where he did things like um, he held a microphone against the, wire for a telephone pole and tapped it. And that's how you get blaster noises. Mm -hmm. um, he he also, shows that uh, you can do the same thing with a slinky. Oh, okay. So um, I think, I think that's kind of like how he lived his life. He would just go around and like put a microphone next to stuff and tap it or rub it. <laughs> um, but also um, I learned from Indiana Jones minute that in the Indiana Jones films, the, a lot of the punching sound effects, mm -hmm. they would, uh, take a leather jacket and they would get it wet and then they'd smack it with a baseball bat. Okay. I can see that. And, right. and can, that's what I can hear that. The, I should say. Yeah. And, and that's how they get the really satisfying smack in the, in the punch, but they'd also often mix a lot of sounds together. Um, like there'd be a little touch of a different sound. I think in a lot of films when they do like cannon sounds or artillery, they'll mix in like a little bit of a lion's roar. And that's just like a trick they always do. It's like, it just makes it so much more satisfying. Just mm -hmm. this like animal sound to it. Um, or sometimes gunfire will have a bit of a, a, a whip crack in it. Yeah. And they just do all these little things to make it sound the way it's supposed to sound. Even if that's not the way it actually sounds. Yeah. Interesting. Well, since this minute focuses on the dwarves, I thought I'd give a little history about the dwarves and about okay. the story because really the dwarves are an invention of the Grimm's or I should say uh, of the Germans. The brothers Grimm went around recording stories that they heard. Yeah. So they uh, heard this story from Jeanette and Amelie Hassenberg. I may be pronouncing that wrong, um, but they were the brothers Grimm were trying to preserve German culture 
And that also meant that they edited the tales through the seven editions of their book to help cast the country in a better light. Mm -hmm. So the earliest version of Snow White, it is an evil mother who's doing this. And they said, well, we don't want to portray our mothers mothers. vilify mothers or, and in the, well, we are, we know the fairy tale original versions are pretty dark in the grim version. uh, The stepmother asks the huntsman to bring back the liver and lungs so that she can eat them. Mm-hmm. And don't want to say that mothers are cannibals either. Yeah. So uh, there's a classification system for fairy tales called the uh, Arnie Thompson Uther system or ATU. And this uh, organizes folk tales and fairy tales by type, looking at the specific elements. So if enough of these elements appear in these particular stories, it gets categorized on categorized by that. So Snow White is ATU 709, if you're interested in looking okay. up the story. Uh, and it's, so it's a type 7, and it's the ninth one that they list. No, it's the 709th. Oh. Yeah, so okay. the, most of the book is actually folk tales. Uh, it's the latter half that get into the fairy tales or tales of wonder, because these are worlds where magic is commonplace, where it's readily accepted that magic exists. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, like when the dwarves talk about in the early minute, whether it's a ghost or a goblin that I was asking if they were superstitious, but it could very well just be that their world naturally assumed those things exist, even if they've never seen them. Gotcha. So while Snow White is the famous title, what is, and what it's listed under, uh, the Grimm brothers is the version everyone's familiar with, but that's actually a late version uh, none of the earlier version has all the elements, um, but elements exist. Uh, so there are things like the gold tree and the silver tree from Scotland, uh, the tale of the dead princess and the seven knights from Russia, the enchanted shoes from Portugal, and a lot from Italy. Uh, Maria, hmm. the wicked stepmother and the seven robbers, the crystal crystal casket, and the earliest version we have is the young slave by Gian Battista Basile from his book, Il Pentamarone, or The Tale of Tales. Hmm. So in this one, uh, we do have a wicked stepmother figure and a girl in an enchanted sleep, but those are kind of the only elements that really show up. Uh, Do we have time? I can tell you a little more about that story. Um, Yeah, go ahead. All right, so this is... We get into some flowery prose in these Italians from the 1600s. So in this version, uh, it starts with a barren sister who becomes pregnant after swallowing a rose petal. Okay. And she, give, and she gives birth to a girl uh, who she names Lisa. And the description isn't the uh, skin as white as snow, lips as red as blood, and hair as dark as... Ebony. Ebony or dark wood or something. A couple of different versions of that refrain. No, he says, her face was like the moon in her 14th night. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very poetic. I'm not sure what it means. Yeah. So like a uh, sleeping beauty, fairies come to bless the baby, but one trips and curses her instead. And the, the curse is that when the child is seven year, years old, her mother would comb her hair and leave the comb in, causing the child to die. 
that so. element was in the Grimm's version that I read. Um, uh, was the, yeah, was so that the, was one of the attempts on her life by the queen. yeah so there in the grim version the evil stepmother does three attempts one of which is a poisoned comb no this is just yes. that the comb is left in the child's hair and the child dies so apparently grooming was okay. a serious business back then you, it's, you it's took dangerous your, you, yeah you took your life in your hands if you were going to get groomed <laughs> um and so when the child dies the mother orders seven crystal caskets one inside another so each one uh, smaller than the next and the child inside the smallest casket but of course the child's not dead and magically uh-huh. as she as she grows in this coma the caskets grow with her so again you know magic is just happening in this world you don't explain yeah. it so the baron gets married and his wife after being ordered not to go into a certain room goes in, sees Lisa, and pulls out the comb. And this is where you get that evil stepmother figure, uh, where she's jealous of the child's uh, beauty, and the Baron's wife then treats Lisa like a slave and beats her. And uh, Basile goes on and on in his descriptions. <laughs> so, and uh, he's tr- you know trying to be very vivid, so this is how he describes it. Uh, so the Baron's wife... Embittered as a slave, and then angered as a bitch keeping her watch on her young, and with poison full as an asp, she at once cut off the damsel's hair and gave her a good drubbing, and arrayed her in rags. Every day she beat on her on her head, gave her black eyes, and scratched her face, and made her mouth to bleed just as she had eaten raw pigeons. That simile is striking. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just like when you eat raw pigeons. Yeah, because oh, I know exactly. What yeah, what you can just picture it right away. <laughs> of course, um, yes. R- raw pigeon mouth. I get it. Yeah. So the uh, Baron eventually realizes what's going on, divorces, and makes sure his niece marries well. So uh, if you thought that imagery of the beating was... Uh, vivid. At the beginning of the story, Basili gives a moral. Um, and I want to read this all because it's okay. quite, imp- quite impressive. And so this is uh, all about jealousy, which is one, obviously one of the themes of Snow White. Mm-hmm. So this is what Basili says. Jealousy is a fearful malady. And sooth to say, tis a vertigo, which turneth the brain, a fever burning in the veins. An accident, a sudden blow which paralyzeth the limbs, a dysentery which looseneth the body, a sickness which, which robbeth ye of sleep, embittereth all food, cloudeth all peace, shorteneth our days. Tis a viper which biteth, a moth with which gnaweth, gall which embittereth, snow which freezeth, a nail which boreth you, a separator of all love's enjoyment, a divider of matrimony a dog causing disunion to all love's felicity. Still not done. Tis a continual torpedo in the sea of Venus's pleasure, which never doth a right or good deed, as ye will all confess with your own tugs on hearing the story which follows. So just in case you, yeah, if you weren't clear what jealousy does, it, 
ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. Yo, we're going to make sure that you get the image of what jealousy does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, on that cheerful note, <laughs> I think we're going to wrap up tonight's episode. Yeah. Today's so, episode. Paul, you know, just imagine, you know, we know the grim version is dark. And that's toned down from some of the other stuff that they heard. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Well, um, we'll be back tomorrow <laughs> with more of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But until then, uh, if you like it, share it with your friends. Share our podcast with the people you know. Uh, and give us reviews and ratings uh, on iTunes or whatever podcast service you're going to use. But until tomorrow, when we are back with another episode, just whistle while you work. And don't get jealous. Mm-hmm.